0: Can you hear me? The reading is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 1 to 15. And if you want to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 1010, 1010. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. "Greetings," he said. They came to his home, came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me." While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Please be present among us by your spirit now, as we reflect on the events of that first Easter morning. Please open the eyes of our hearts to see you and to know you as the crucified and risen Lord, the one who alone is worthy of our worship. Amen. Benjamin Franklin famously once said that in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And as the stricken Hamlet said to his friend Laertes, this fell sergeant death is strict in his arrest. All of us know only too well, by sad, bitter first-hand experience of friends or, or loved ones who have died, that when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. Full stop, end. Everything we've learned in life, common sense says that dead people don't walk out of the grave. We don't like it. We we don't like to think about it because the thought of it is just too overwhelming. So what we tend to do is we sweep it under the carpet or embalm it with a nice false comfort of folk religion. But deep down we know that death is an immovable part of the furniture of our lives. It's no accident, therefore, that when the Apostle Matthew relates to us the events of that very first Resurrection Sunday, he describes it as something that sends shockwaves through the very fabric of the universe. Did you pick it up in the reading as Marion read it to us? He tells us there was a violent earthquake. Literally, the the Greek word is the word seismos. He's wanting us to know that this is an event of seismic proportions. It blows up the Richter scale. But those who read Matthew's gospel closely will notice that this isn't the first time that the ground is said to shake. Anyone know The other time, the crucifixion, where we're told at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. So Matthew wants us to know that the death and resurrection of Jesus are events of cosmic, seismic importance. As Jesus dies on Good Friday and then rises from the dead on Easter Sunday. The ground beneath the world as we know it begins to tremble. The old order in which death rules the roost is gone. Now only taxes are certain. And not even that if you're Amazon. The world is no longer the same place as it was before that first resurrection Sunday. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look different. It doesn't feel different. Bones still break. Our hearts still break. People still get sick and die. People that we know and love still get sick and die. And yet, and yet, Easter comes and says, death isn't fatal anymore. Everything sad is coming untrue. Death itself is going to work in reverse. And the simple affirmation is, as the theologian John Stott once put it, we live and die, but Christ died and lives. And in his dying and living, Jesus has shaken the world, as we know it, like a snow globe. See, so you see, the message at the heart of Easter and the message at the heart of Christianity itself is that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead. And that's not only glorious good news, but it's, it's also kind of unsettling news. Disruptive news. Something that Matthew captures for us in the words of verse 8. Again, I don't know if you picked this up. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. What a wonderful summary of the effects of resurrection! It will terrify us the fear of the unknown, at a new world opening before us, and the thrill death is dead, Jesus has won. And so the question I want us to consider this morning is simply this. What makes Easter such an earthquake? What is it about the resurrection of Jesus that, when it's believed, provokes in us feelings of both fear and joy? So in the the rest of the time, I suggest that there are three things that we learn. Something about the resurrection presence, the resurrection perspective and the resurrection purpose. And my hope and prayer for us this morning is not only that we understand why the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, but that we too might experience that for ourselves, both the fear and the joy of the resurrection. And so the first and most important thing to say is that Jesus' resurrection means that he's a living presence in our world today. And therefore, each of us here in this room, personally, can experience his presence with us. Each and every one of us can encounter him. Jesus, uh, the risen Jesus, doesn't, isn't just uh, some myth from a storybook. The resurrection doesn't just mean that he rose from the dead some 2,000 years ago. And that's no small feat, to be sure. But it means that he's alive and well. In fact, even more alive, even more well than any of us sat in this room right now. He will never die again. Jesus isn't just another name in the history books who we can learn about like we might read about Julius Caesar. No, the resurrection means that Jesus is a living person with whom you and I can have a personal relationship. Now, I suspect that some of us might struggle to believe that here this morning. But notice this the resurrected Jesus can be touched. Matthew tells us that the women who encountered Jesus as they ran from the empty tomb came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. You can't clasp the feet of a ghost. The resurrection of Jesus isn't an idea, it isn't just a, a nice little metaphor. You know that there's hope that you know good always follows bad, sunshine comes after rain. It's not a metaphor. The risen Jesus has a body, a body that can be touched and clasped by women's hands. The women went to the tomb looking for Jesus who was crucified, but they discover that the crucified one is now the risen one. The resurrection not being the, 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 the undoing or the cancelling out of his crucifixion, but because Jesus' risen body still bears the scars of his crucifixion, but rather as the triumph over his crucifixion. Uh, Bishop Leslie Newbigin once said, the resu- resurrection is not the reversal of a defeat, but the manifestation of a victory. It's showing that what happened on Good Friday wasn't an accident. It was part of God's victory. So the, the good news is that I want to share with all of you today is simply that Jesus is alive. The same Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary, the same Jesus who was baptised in the River Jordan by his cousin John the Baptist, the same Jesus who called his 12 disciples, the same Jesus who preached the Sermon on the Mount, the same Jesus who healed the sick, who drove out demons, the same Jesus who disputed with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the same Jesus who was betrayed by a kiss, who was arrested, beaten, mocked, tortured, humiliated, and hung on a cross naked to die one of the most degrading deaths that humanity has ever devised. That Jesus is alive. That Jesus lives to never die again. The women don't meet a new Jesus. They meet the same Jesus they'd seen crucified two days before. And notice what the women do when they meet Jesus. I love this. Uh, They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Now, it's probably pretty hard for us to get our heads around how crazy and revolutionary those words are. You see, we we live in a a society that has been shaped by Christianity and the worship of Jesus for, for, I don't know, uh, 1,700 years, something like that. But these were women of Israel. Women who had been formed by the words of Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The Lord alone is our God. What are do you doing worshipping Jesus? Unless. Unless the Lord and Jesus are one. If Jesus is not the Son of God, then these women are committing adultery in the highest degree. If these women, uh, these women are committing idolatry, the resurrection of Jesus declares that he is the Son of God, who alone is worthy of our worship. And the theologian Stanley however writes this, he says, The fact that the women worship Jesus marks the central activity of the new reality aborning, that is the church. What makes the church the church is the worship of Jesus. That's why our mission as a church is unapologetically Jesus-centred. To love Jesus, learn Jesus, and live Jesus. The resurrection says that the risen one is God. He is the one true God. The resurrection is God the Father's yes to Jesus as his own self-identifying word. It's, It's God the Father saying, yes, he speaks for me. He acts for me. The resurrection settles it once and for all that the one who ate with sinners and tax collectors... The one who justified the ungodly, the one who died on a Roman cross, is God. The resurrection is God's way of saying to the world, this is who I am. The resurrection presence of Jesus alone should be enough to make the ground under our feet begin to shake. In the first place it says that real Christianity, authentic Christianity, isn't just a matter of seeking to abide by fairly kind of anemic, harmless sounding Christian principles. Christianity is a real living encounter with a real living Lord, or it's nothing. It can't be reduced merely to outward forms and rituals, being nice Uh, attending in church service, participating in formal liturgies. At its heart, Christianity is about a relationship with the living Lord. He wants our hearts. The only appropriate response to the reality of who Jesus is, is like the women to go to him, to clasp his feet and to worship him. And this leads to the second reason why the the resurrection presence of Jesus is such an earthquake. Because when we see him as the resurrection declares him to be, that, uh, that is the one true God, we have to acknowledge his claim on every area of our lives. To worship him doesn't just mean to admire him, but to treasure him above all else, to submit to his authority to recognise his rightful rule over our lives. Tim Keller writes, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. If Jesus is the king of the universe... We can give no one else our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate love. We can give no one else our hearts, our obedience. So second, let's think about the resurrection perspective. Uh, Charles Talbot, who's a, a biblical scholar, writes that the women came to the team expecting to find the death of their hopes, but now everything is turned upside down and even their wildest dreams pale beside the astonishing message That Jesus has been raised. So the resurrection of Jesus turns our world upside down. It's as if the the rules of the game that we call life have been irrevocably altered mid game. You know, sometimes uh, we have a habit of talking about going to church on a Sunday and then going out into the real world Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday. But the resurrection says, no, 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 no. The real world is the world of resurrection. Where Jesus, the risen Lord, is worshipped, that's the real world. That's reality. That's truth deep down. Church isn't an escape from the real world. It's meant to be a preview of it, a signpost of it. I suspect quite a few probably don't believe me when I say that, but think about it. If if Jesus, who is crucified on Good Friday, is now alive, then the ultimate reality that governs the world isn't death. It's life. It's Jesus. The real world is where our lives are determined by his life. That is the real world. That's reality. Now, whether we want to live in that reality or not is up to us. Not all will. We see two different responses, even in the resurrection story that we heard. There's the response of the the women who run into this brave new world with fear and joy. But there's also the response of the guards who first fall down like dead men and then conspire with the chief priest to orchestrate a to cover-up. You can feel the irony, can't you? The ones who are tasked with guarding the dead man appear dead, but the dead man is made alive. However, how so again, I mentioned earlier, says, that the guards became like dead men indicates the transformation that Jesus' resurrection has affected. Those who had thought they were alive now discover that what they took for life is death. Jesus' resurrection creates a life freed from the death that grips our everyday lives. This is life reborn, revealing to us how death has determined our living. And yet it is possible to remain dead, to live as dead men, as the behaviour of the guards will make clear. Isn't it amazing that the guards saw the same empty tomb that the women did? But they knew also that if they followed the logic of the resurrection to its natural conclusion, life could never be the same for them. So they covered it up. That the guards became like dead men should sober all of us because it reveals the sad truth that if we choose to live as strangers or enemies of the risen Jesus that's what we too will become the battle-hardened soldiers who participated in Jesus's execution a couple of days earlier come face to face with the truth that the one they rejected is the true king and judge of all people To oppose the one who is the resurrection and the life is to throw in our lot with death. And so the resurrection of Jesus is politically subversive. It says loud and clear that this world doesn't belong to Caesar, it belongs to God. And God will get what God wants. God's kingdom will come on earth as in heaven. God's will will be done on earth as in heaven. And we can either be swept up or swept away. And so the resurrection gives us a new perspective on life. It doesn't just tell us, but it shows us that God will ultimately triumph. That creation will be renewed and restored. And that life will win out over death. Life doesn't just come to a cul-de-sac in the grave. History is going somewhere. It has a goal. It's not just a set of random chance events or random stories by different people that don't amount to anything. History has a direction, a destination. God is at work within it. Now, just imagine for a moment that you were to watch The Shawshank Redemption. Fantastic film. But imagine you don't see the last ten minutes. Your perspective on that film is going to be completely out of kilter, isn't it? And it's the same with us. If we don't realise what the end of the story is, our perspective on life will be completely out of kilter. To not know where we're headed is to have little idea of what life is for. But on the contrary, when we know that a life like Jesus' life of radical self-giving was not lived in vain but was vindicated in resurrection, we're also given a new boldness with which to live our lives. This is the joy that the women felt as they ran from the empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't, didn't mean that the world was all suddenly sunshine and roses. It wasn't. It didn't mean that the Romans had suddenly decided to pack up their bags and head back to Italy. It didn't. But the resurrection does give us new eyes with which to see the difficulties we encounter with in life. Just as Jesus isn't now solely defined as the one who died on Good Friday, so death doesn't have to define our lives either. It doesn't have to yank our chains. And the Easter earthquake isn't just that we can see our struggles in a new light, but that we have the courage to take risks for God. Uh, The American missionary Jim Elliott was killed trying to uh, share the good news of Jesus to a remote warlike tribe in South America. And he, he once said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How do you get a mindset like that? By believing that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead. Believing that death isn't the last word. The resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for us to live without fear. What what do both the angels and Jesus say to the women? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The resurrection is the power to venture everything in love, confident that with God, death isn't final, and a life poured out for the sake of others isn't a zero-sum game, even if you don't see the fruits of it in your lifetime. Just imagine for a moment, imagine what your life might be like if you were afraid of nothing. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the confidence you would have, the boldness, the courage, if you were afraid of nothing? That is the resurrection perspective. And thirdly, the resurrection of Jesus not only provides us hope in death, but meaning in life. The women at the tomb on Easter morning don't just bask in the joy of Jesus being alive. They're given a job to do, to go and witness to the fact of Jesus' risen life. He is not here, he's risen, just as the, he said, the angels, angel tells them. Come and see where the place where he lay. Then go uh, quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the resurrection gives us a job go. Get, get out, get away from here, go tell. And Matthew tells us that they hurried away from the tomb. They didn't dilly-dally, they didn't dawdle, they didn't kick their feet and trudge unwillingly. They hurried. They sprinted out of there to go and tell people. They had somewhere to be, they had a job to do, they had a purpose. Do you? Do you have that same sense? I've got somewhere to be because Jesus is risen. I've got something to do because Jesus is risen. The Christian faith is often portrayed as pie in the sky when you die. And the good news, as it's often presented, is that if we believe in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, we get to go to heaven when we die. Problem is, while the resurrection does definitely give us hope for life after death, to reduce it to that is to miss the point entirely. The hope of the resurrection isn't just pie in the sky when you die. First of all, because it's not in the sky, it's about Jesus bringing his kingdom here to this earth. The risen Jesus appeared here on this earth, And secondly, it's not just when you die. Because resurrection life begins here and now. God's kingdom has already been started. He's already launched it. And Christians are called to be resurrection people. An advanced signpost pointing people to the way way that the world is headed. That what happened for Jesus on Easter Sunday morning is going to happen for the whole world, the whole creation. And it's our job. To be witnesses of that. In short, our mission as Christians is to witness to Jesus' resurrection. And we don't just do that through our words, but hear me well, our words matter. Uh, how will people know the reason for the hope that we have if we don't open our mouths? Uh, sometimes I think we, we kind of, we feel a little bit embarrassed about this. We think we're going to look crazy. Uh, and we think, well, maybe if we invite people to a church event, like a coffee morning or something, and you know, if we just smile really nicely, people might get the sense that we know Jesus. Do you hear how ridiculous that sounds? Witnessing requires words. Words. But there is that deeper challenge to witness to the reality of resurrection by living the kind of lives that wouldn't make sense if Jesus weren't risen from the dead. And one of the ways that we do that is by living lives of reckless, self-giving love for the sake of others coming to know Jesus' reckless, self-giving love. And that, I suggest, is the reason why the women were afraid, yet filled with joy. After the resurrection, almost all of Jesus' apostles were martyred as they went across the world, telling people the good news of God's kingdom come in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To be sent as a witness to the crucified Saviour isn't a cushy job. And yet, and yet the resurrection gives us the courage to venture all for his sake, knowing that no work done for the Lord is in vain. Even if we don't see the fruits of it immediately, even if we don't see the fruits in our own lifetime. So if you want to stay out of trouble, if your goal in life is to stay tucked up, safe, cosy and warm in the security of your blanket, don't go down to the team on Easter Sunday morning. If you go down to the tomb today, you're in for a big surprise. <laughs> he's going to give you a job to do. To go and remind the world that this is God's world, and He's going to get it back. So, friends, Easter is an earthquake, and I just want to ask the simple question: Have you felt the ground beneath your feet begin? to tremble. Have you felt the risen Jesus beginning to turn your world upside down? Have you started to feel both the fear and the joy that comes from living the resurrection? Fear because we have to rethink the world and our, our lives in the world from the ground up again in light of who Jesus is and this new thing that God has done by raising Jesus from the dead. And joy because Jesus has won the victory over our oldest and feared, fiercest enemy. He's opened the way for us to enjoy a love relationship with our Creator and He's given us a starring role in the march of His kingdom on earth as in heaven. If you haven't yet felt both the fear, And the joy. I wonder whether you've actually met the risen Jesus in person. But you can. He's alive, He's with us. And if you have begun to feel the earth beneath your feet tremble, you've got a job to do. To go and tell everyone that Jesus is not dead he is alive in fact let's practice it right now just turn to the person next to you and say jesus is not dead he is alive <laughs> jesus has come to call into being a new people he sent mary and the other mary magdalene the other mary to go to his brothers because his life and death and resurrection creates a new family. Uh, the great Christian bishop and theologian, St. Augustine, preached to his congregation on this Resurrection Sunday. He said, we are an Easter people and hallelujah is our song. So friends, I want to encourage us and invite us. Let us worship our risen Lord with joy. And let us hurry out of here to witness to his risen life in words and actions and lives that wouldn't make sense if Jesus wasn't alive. As Easter people, let us live as if resurrection is the real world. Because, friends, I want to tell you, it is. Let's pray. Crucified and risen Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that your death and resurrection have sent shockwaves through the whole world. Jesus, I pray for for any here this morning who haven't yet feel the ground beneath their feet shake. Lord, I pray that they would this morning. I pray for, for any who haven't yet met you as a real and living presence and Lord, that they would this morning by your Spirit. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would help us to live in the light of your resurrection. Help us to live lives that would be unintelligible if you hadn't conquered death, if you hadn't overcome the grave on that first Easter morning. And so, Lord, we pray, would you make us an Easter people? Would you make us people who who don't just sing hallelujah, but whose lives are an hallelujah? Who, Who sound Hallelujah, so joyously from every pore that both our lips and our lives are a joyful declaration that you are alive, that you are the risen one, that resurrection is the real world. Because Lord, we want all the world to know that you are alive and risen from the dead. Amen.